Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and today I'm here with Addison Bevere. Todd, how are you? I'm great, man. We were just, uh, we were talking before we got started. We met a year ago. A year ago. Today. I think it actually was today. A year ago today. I don't know. This is our anniversary. This is our friendship anniversary. Friendship anniversary. Yeah. Your better half is not here, though. (laughs) She's definitely my better half. Um, And and I met you two together. I wish my wife would have been with me. But the interesting thing about that, uh, we we met in a great place. We did. <laughs> it was it was a good place to meet. So it was. I think it was supposed to be like a think tank kind of thing on the future of discipleship, and what it turned into, or what I got out of it, was stuff that was completely different. But man, it was just that was a really fun time. So it was two or three days. I don't know how many days was it. A couple days. Uh, yeah, I think it was four days. Four days. Okay. Because um, we went all over the place. We visited the different churches. Yeah, and saw the different works in action. It was cool. It was. So we were with um, with Alpha and mm-hmm. uh, a guy named Nikki Gumbel, who's been on the podcast before. If you you can just look that up. I don't remember the episode. I should have been more prepared for that, <laughs> but. Man, that was just a really, it was a really cool time and yep. a really important topic. So one of the things that I want to bring up is your current role as CEO of Messenger International. COO, sorry. Did I say okay. CEO? I heard I heard an O in there. You heard an O? At least, I mean, maybe I was looking for the O, so I heard it. Okay. But I, uh, yeah. And also, you've just written a book uh, called Words with God. You've written other books, but this is the one that... Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about today. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So um, as well as the five leadership questions, of okay. course. So um, I want to actually start off with the actual first questions. People aren't used to this. They're used to me like going off the rails and then finally about halfway through the episode asking the first question. Okay. But I want to ask you the first question. Who are you learning from? Because... As I read this book, I saw lots of <laughs> lots of different quotes from people that I know and love. Yeah. So when you start off your book with a George McDonald quote, I'm like, yes, already. I'm do you, do love you remember the quote? I'll be really impressed if you remember the quote. I don't remember the quote. I just remember it was George McDonald. It was, I'm like, it is. Yeah. yeah. What was the quote? When we are one with life, no prayer can be denied. Okay, so obviously this book is 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 on prayer, but our first question is always, who are you learning from? Yeah. And when I, uh, I'm like nine chapters, eight, nine chapters into this book now, and as I'm reading it, I couldn't wait to ask you that question because of all the, the richness of the places that you pull from and bringing together this book is is awesome. Uh, There's things that I've referenced recently with another guest, um, The Examine, Mm -hmm. um, which we'll we'll maybe talk about in a little bit. But man, like, talk to me about who you're currently. So two questions, really. Who are some of the people that you feel like you've learned from the most? Wow. And then who are you currently learning from? Wow. That's a that's a hard question. You feel free to name two that I learned from the most, and who am I currently learning from? Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a lot of pressure. The who I've learned the most from. Yeah, 
because I feel like different people speak to me differently in the different seasons, right? right? So if you ask me that question in particular season, I may say one person, another season, I may someone say someone else. Right. But George McDonald is he's been very formative to my understanding of of God as both tender father and also the consuming fire. I feel like George McDonald brings those two facets of who God is front and center right. better than anyone. And he doesn't let either one of them go. I feel like a lot of us, we like to swing the pendulum right. in Christendom. We're, we're all about God as father, or right. we're all about the consuming fire and the judgment and the holiness um, and the revelation of God's otherness. So who I'm learning from right now, there's a couple of people that I'm reading right now that I haven't read before. Okay. And the first one is, I told you this before the show, I'm reading um, a biography on Abraham Lincoln. Right. It's called A. Lincoln. It's really good. I'm about a third of the way through it. And learning from his life and his perseverance, when we think of Abraham Lincoln, we think of honest Abe, right? Like that right. was a hallmark attribute of his, but his perseverance is incredible. The number of times he had to navigate moments that didn't go his way and just how he was able to move through that and evolve and mature. It wasn't like, I'm just going to keep doing the things that I've always done until the world accepts me for who I am. Right. He constantly evolved and matured in his understanding of who he needed to be as a leader while not losing or letting go of who he was at his core as a leader. And I think that's incredibly challenging as a leader to embrace humility, where right. we grow and we evolve and we learn while also not letting go of the conviction um, that holds the core of who we are together. So A. Lincoln, another book that I'm reading right now, which this one's a little out there. Okay. I wanna warn you. It's a book called Genesis. And it's written by a, a Jewish ra rabbi. Okay. Right. And um, it's it's based on findings in the Midrashic texts. Okay, I'm telling you. <laughs> <I love> it. <laughs> we're, geek we're geeking out a bit right now. So I'm I actually started reading her book on Exodus. Right. And I was like, man, she's this is incredible. So I was like, before I read what she has to say about Exodus, I want to go back and read what she has to say about Genesis. So she uh, she's she's one of the top Jewish scholars in the world. Right. Um, and yeah, it's so. So Midrashic. Are you familiar with the Midrashic text? Like it's basically like Jewish commentaries. Right. Yeah. Fills in the holes. So not at the same level of authority as Torah, but it fills in a lot of the narrative holes. Right. Because like we'll read in Torah, we'll read that this event happens. And then this other event happens, right. like, well, what happened between those two? In the Midrashic text, it's a, it's a tradition, um, rabbinic tradition, commentaries, filling in some of those those holes. And it's fascinating. And then you have to engage with it appropriately and accordingly, but you it is- You have to sift it. You have to sift it, but it is fascinating um, what she pulls and what tradition, Jewish tradition pulls from these great narratives. What I think is interesting, so, um, I mean, what you've said is very balanced, I think, actually, because if you look at uh, George MacDonald and who he was and what he wrote, part of it is understanding this was a churchman and this mm -hmm. was a, a, a pastor, preacher, but he knew how to have a good time and he, he knew how to write a great story. He did. And so I think it's understanding. And then if you look at all the people that he inspired, um, from a contemporary of Lewis Carroll to C.S. Mm -hmm. Lewis, Chesterton, all of mm -hmm. these guys would say, uh, Yates, mm -hmm. all of these d yep. people would say, hey, I wouldn't be who I am. Well, he's the father of modern fiction. Yeah. Fantasy fiction. And a lot of people haven't 
haven't read them. Um, yeah. If you look, actually, Fantasies with a PH yeah. is one of his books. So that was the that was his breakout book. It was pretty early in his career that he wrote that, and that's the book that put him on the scene. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, it's uh, it's important not to be. It's I think it's important to be varied and challenged in your reading. I I agree. My editor actually asked me when when she was working through the manuscript. She was like, "How do you like? How do you develop your reading list? <laughs> she's like, you're pulling from so many different places." And she gets and she said, "I know you're not just pulling like." This isn't you Googling and you're pulling because you're, you're not just quoting something. You're, you're digging into what's behind the quote, the spirit of the quote. And she's right. like, so how, like, how do you form your reading list? Uh, let's let's <laughs> completely derail the conversation, <laughs> shall we? That's what everybody's expecting anyway. No. Um, so before w- before we started, yeah. we were, you know, milling about this room um, and just talking and hanging out with Dale and who's who's uh, helping us audio today and we're all you know talking about different things and the interesting thing that popped up was i think i said i made up a random thing and said 70 percent of everything that we write or create is begged borrowed or stolen from somewhere else. Uh, absolutely. And, and, you know, in 90, what is it? 98.4% of statistics <laughs> are made up. <laughs> so, it's true. It's true. But, no, it, um, but, but I, yes, they I, are. I think um, as in any pastor, mm-hmm. if he's honest, would mm-hmm. say the same thing and say, well, that's generous. Um, I, I, that's what I was like. I think, I think that's pretty generous given it 30. The reality is as, as humans, like we are, formed in communities, right? So we're formed with the words of others. Um, our words become an extension of the words of others. And so this isn't a bad thing that no. our words are a fresh synthesis of a lot of other words. I think that's that's a part of the story of how we identify as humans and how we invite people into a journey of maturation and connection and purpose and promise. Uh, but we were talking about this and I love personally when I'm reading a book, I'm like, okay, this is a good book. I go to the back and I start just looking at the notes section look at the bit. and I'm like, okay, all right. <laughs> okay. All right. This book, I see a few, a few, a few, see a few citations. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to, I need to check this book out. And I normally, and I actually highlight them in the back. And then when I'm done with the book, I'm like, all right, I'm going to go order these three books. I'm going to read those. Okay. And, and then I just keep going back and it brings me to really, you know, different, just interesting places as far as, people that I read and disciplines that I'll find myself engaging with. And I mentioned this to you before we began the show, but I, I, I read, I read some Athanasius a long time ago, but recently I've been reading when I say recently, the last few years, I've been reading more of his stuff because I traced most of Lewis's stuff back to him. Right. Like the whole idea of God became a man to make right. men, sons of God, or the son of God became a man to make men sons of God. Like that big idea that C.S. Lewis would mention multiple times in his Christology and his understanding of how all that works. It's very Athanasius. In fact, it's verbatim Athanasius. So it's just, and then you go back and you 
start to understand Athanasius, which maybe in school was like, eh, I don't really care about what I'm learning about. But then now with the context, you're like, okay, this is why he wrote the things that he did. Like, this is why this idea was so important to him. This was the tension that right. the early church was navigating that brought this, the clarification of this statement to life. Like, this is why the Trinity and the idea of the Trinity became such a big deal during his time. Okay. I hope you've stuck with us uh, through all that because that was as much for me as it was anybody. Sorry. But we're getting to something important now, yes. which is why this is happening. A piece that stuck out from the book uh, to me was um, the juxtaposition of the voice of God and the voice of the accuser. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And drawing out that in today's world, we see that division becoming just increasingly and that voice becoming increasingly pervasive and divisive. Yeah. And, um, and the reason why I bring that up, it, one, it's a great part of the book, but two, when we think about being widely read or reading people whose opinions are different than yours or even learning from those people. Yeah. How important is that to who you are and, and your leadership? And then perhaps speak into a little bit from that, from the, from the book, from the, the, the silence the yes. and the voice of the accuser. Yeah. And it's interesting that you brought, cause I've never had anyone bring those two together as a question. Well, so Todd, there you go, <laughs> but they're connected. Yes. And, and you intuitively and maybe intentionally put that together. Um, we feel this pressure to be gods in our own right. And when it comes to, to prayer, we often look to God to give us the answers so we can figure out what we need to do with our life and kind of move God out of the way and we can just fulfill purpose and do what we need to do and right. make a difference in this world. Because we have this sense, we have this longing to contribute, a longing to do something significant. And the enemy of our soul, he, he uses that against us very well. He does that better than anyone. And he uses it in the form of accusation. And so, so much of prayer, and I write about this in the book, it invites us into a, a silence, a form of silence, where we discover that the silence is, is actually a language of God's. And it's not a form of rejection. It's actually an invitation to a fresh way of engaging with God's voice and understanding how God has words with us. Because so many of us, we look for God's voice in the tone and tenor of the accuser mm. because the accuser's voice is baked into these systems and the right. ways of our world. It's baked into how we're formed as people. Even within religion, we find so much of the accuser's voice being leveraged because fear, condemnation, accusation, they're powerful. They're tools that we can use to get people to do what we want them to do, Absolutely. when we want them to do them, why we want them to do them. And so it's not uncommon for us to look for God's voice in that tone, in that tenor. But the truth is God communicates very differently. And that, that journey into and through silence, which has been a heritage of Christ followers from the beginning. I mean, even if we go back to a place like First Kings 19, we have Elijah. He has this incredible moment of ministry, faces right. off with Jezebel. You know, all the, the prophets of Baal are slaughtered. <laughs> Fire comes down on the wet altar. I mean, it's an amazing day of right. ministry. Like, come on, this is like the apex of ministry. Right. And then we find him running for his life because Jezebel threatens to kill him right. by the next day, right? And he's running for his life and he hides 
and in the mountain. And then God comes to meet with him. He comes to find him in his despair and his hopelessness right. and his depression. But God's not in the wind. God's not in the earthquake. God's not in the fire. God's not in the spectacle. God is in, as it reads in Hebrew, God's in the thin silence. He comes in the thin silence. And there's, there's something about silence that drives us into a, a greater understanding of God and our world and ourselves and how it all comes together that allows us to embrace life with humility, knowing that we don't have to be God, going back to the very beginning, that we can receive and grow and learn from others, that what we don't know is not a place of accusation or a place uh, for us to be disqualified. It's actually a place for us to grow and learn and be affirmed and grow in a company with others. Like there's a reason why the Lord's prayer begins with our father, not my father. Forgive us our sins, not my sins. Right. Like we're being taught to figure out how to do this life of purpose, life of connection with God in the company of others. And that involves and includes learning from each other, growing alongside each other. I think Bonhoeffer's book on life together, his book right. on community brings that out so beautifully. Very cool. All right, I'm gonna shift gears. Do it. I'm gonna go into the practical side of things, unfortunately. No, practical's good. Um, okay, so what are the main points of emphasis with you and your team with Messenger right now? Yeah, so we're two, a little over two months away from our big annual event. It'll be our 13th annual event that we do. We, we host around 340 people who come in from all over the world. And it's, uh, it's an event to raise funds for discipleship resources that are translated and given to pastors and leaders all over the world. So it'll, it'll do probably close to 10, 10 million discipleship mm -hmm. resources translated, discipleship resources for pastors and leaders. And, I think this year is like 150 countries. So there's a lot that goes into that right. hosting people for four or five days. So we're locked in now to preparing our spirits to host. Right. Because we talk about the reality, like this starts with us. Like we we're, we need to set the tone and the enemy of our souls doesn't like what's happening. Right. And it's really confusing in these moments when the enemy comes after us. It's really confusing because there's real brokenness in the people around us and we want to scapegoat the people around us and their brokenness for what the enemy's really doing. And that's tough as a leader because like there's real brokenness that needs to be addressed. Right. But there's also opposition, like real spiritual opposition against what we're doing here. And it takes a lot of discernment to navigate what's happening in these moments and how do we prepare our people to navigate them. And so that's that's what we're doing as a director's team. And then also we're in a season we're calling messenger 2.0 because we've, we've been successful as an organization, but we sense that right now we're in the midst of what we're calling our legacy shift. So our pioneers, our founders are still the head leaders at messenger. Their season's coming to an end. Now pioneers blow up, pioneers right. run, pioneers do that. Builders come alongside <laughs> pioneers and put infrastructure and right. framework in place. And there's tension in that season of transition. And I, I'm a part of a, a, a group uh, it's a it's a cohort of leaders, and one of the the leaders in the group told us it was part of a lecture, and he just said, "Hey, uh, and, and he's from Silicon Valley. He's like in Silicon Valley, we do not let the pioneers continue to lead the organization. After. Right? Like once their season of pioneer is done, we move them out because they want to just keep blowing up and doing yeah. things and doing that and this, of course. And, you know, and that's just what happens. So we as an organization, we're in that tension right now, wanting to honor." 
and celebrate and find space and leverage the gift of the pioneer leadership while also building something that transcends the pioneers and could serve um, the greater church for generations to come. Very so that's, that's the challenge. All right. Uh, now I'm going to go, I'm going to shift back, back into something I read in the book that really stuck out to me. And that was you, it was something that I felt okay. during different seasons of, of life and, and ministry. Um, and here's the sentence. I was failing successfully as my interior life was disintegrated yeah. Be because, you know, uh, personality wise, there's a, a lot of leaders who, I mean, you know, our identity is kind of yeah. wrapped up in success and being successful. And, you know, a leader doesn't have, ever have a bad day. You know, there's, there's all these kinds of things. You can't have a bad day. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> the company might go sideways if you have a bad day. Right. <laughs> but, yeah. um, but when I read that, I was like, Oh yeah. Now he's meddling. Yeah. Um, so talk about that a little bit mm -hmm. when, what does that mean? S failing successfully as my interior life disintegrated. Yeah. Well, I mean, the company that I was leading was doing great. I mean, on the outside, right. everything, all the metrics were where they needed to be, were growing, but I was not doing well. And it was because I uh, started to believe that I was a god of productivity right? and that the world would only spin if I was contributing. And I started to take on a weight that was not mine to carry. And I was terrified of like, imposter syndrome, inadequacy, insecurity, right. all those things like one day I'm going to make a mistake and this is all going to fall apart. Right. People are going to be like, well, of course it fell apart. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we all know everybody listening. <laughs> and, and so for me, what happened is I went, um, I went through five years of insomnia and I talk about this in the book. Right. Um, and I was praying, Todd, I was doing the right things. I was showing up. I was praying. I was reading my Bible. I was being faithful to my wife, to my, my kids who were very young at the time. I was doing everything I knew to do. And I was crying out. I was like, God, like I need to sleep. Right. Like I'm like, come on. Like your word says in Psalm 127, you give sleep to your beloved. Like, am I not loved by you? Like where, right. <laughs> what's going on? Where's my sleep? And then I, I was having health challenges and there were some other things that happened in my world. And it was like, all of it came together and put, and I went on this tailspin. <laughs> And again, I would cry out for freedom, for peace, for the answers, for everything that I needed. But what I was really asking for is I was saying, hey, God, please give me all of the answers. Please give me everything that I need so I can be self-sufficient. And what God was inviting me into is actually a fresh way of truly taking on his yoke and his burden, not the way that I thought I should be leading and what that would look like, but embracing a fresh way that wasn't defined on my weaknesses or my insecurity or even my strength. Right. And so I realized in this season, this is so profound. And I, I mean, I'm prefacing a statement that I'm saying is profound. So like, <laughs> just to tell you, right? Like, I mean, come on. No, but, but what I realized 
Because I was calling, I was crying out for freedom, for peace, for wholeness, for health, answers, all the good things. And I thought that peace was having all the answers. I didn't realize that peace was being in tune with the one who is the answer. Like God doesn't want to just give me the answers and get out. Like get out of my way. That's not. That's not the profound thing. That's well. Okay. That's like the the profound. That's that's the pre thing. (laughs) (laughs) And, And I thought peace was basically like I can do it all, and so I have peace. Right. And that's what I was going for. And I realized in the season, I was in prayer and crying out to God. And when I finally broke, I realized that God doesn't deliver us from a thing if he knows that that thing will ultimately deliver us to him. I had one idea of what deliverance should look like and would look like. And God was like, no, actually, son, I don't need your success. I actually need you. I need you to be in communion with me. I need you to be connected to me. I need you to realize that I, as it says in John 15, like, I am the vine. You can find a sustenance. You can find a joy. You can have fun while doing this. I mean, Romans 14, right in the middle of a serious matter argument about eating and drinking, people lose relationship over this. We split over things like this. Right. Paul says it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Like joy is an important tenet of the kingdom of God. You are sacrificing your joy because you are trying to sustain something that is not yours to sustain. And I started to discover something, Todd. And I mean, it's one of those things where I knew, but I started to know it in fresh ways that when you read in scripture about praying without ceasing, which is not a holy chore, it's not a holy bore, it's not constant work. It's actually an invitation into constant rest. It's into constant trust, connectedness, receiving. Prayer is not us moving our mouths, not just us moving our mouths. Prayer is actually primarily us listening. When we make prayer about us moving our mouths, we actually make prayer about us and not about God. Like it's all about what I'm doing, what I'm saying. Am I getting the words right? Am I getting the posture right? When God's actually, no, I want to speak to you as a leader through what you see, through how you engage with the moment, the people around you, the decisions that you're engaging with, all of that. And I realized when we read these invitations to pray without ceasing, they come on the heels of this idea of constant joy. I was like, huh, that's fascinating to me that we see this corollary between joy and constant prayer. Like there's something here that we're missing because when I would think of constant prayer, I would think of guilt and shame of how I don't pray enough right? or how my prayers aren't good enough because X, Y, or Z, whatever, whatever reason the accuser was giving me that day to disqualify my prayer and to keep me from engaging with God in prayer. So that's, that's a bit, I mean, I gave you a lot. No, I I, I mean, (laughs) I, I think that most of our listeners, at least seasonally, would really see themselves in that in that sentence again you know that i was failing successfully while my interior life disintegrated yeah yeah because there's so many times where it's like okay my ministry successful numerically or fill in the blank i don't have any sin that would take me yeah. out of ministry you know like uh, so i must be i must be doing great like and it's like, no, no. And that's why you feel like that. Mm-hmm. That's why you can feel like that. That's why yeah. you can say, you know what? It's not that I have some, I don't know, like it, it's not some uh, willful sin that I'm committing or something that I'm going to, again, be taken out of ministry for. And I'm successful and all these things. It is that missing. Yeah. It's that that missing thing that like, well, ultimately like, will lead to it will. you be and taking out. And that's the point. It's drift. 
I mean, it doesn't start right. like that. I know you've had conversations successfully with a lot drifting. of drifting, successfully drifting. And yeah. that starts with the interior yeah. life and the interior life is where the disintegration, which is the breaking down. And, you know, there's like Shalom, the idea of Shalom, which is which is this Edenic reality that we're moving toward. And when we speak Shalom, it's like a promise of a return to that Edenic reality. Shalom does not mean peace. We use it as peace. Peace is a part of Shalom. But what Shalom literally means, it means integration. It means the pieces coming together to mm. make a whole. And because the pieces are coming together to make a whole, Shalom communicates peace and joy and wellness because what is fractured, what is fragmented, is coming together and becoming whole. And that is the work of Shalom. And, and when, I, when I think about who we are, as leaders who are wanting to honor God with our lives and every part of our sense of self, it's so easy to forget about the interior self because people don't see that until they see it. Right. And when they, and then, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then, <laughs> and then everyone sees it. Uh, and so it's easy to neglect that. I think going back to what I've heard from so many leaders now who are reading, I had one pastor, he's been pastor for 20 years. He reached out to me after reading this book. And he said, Addison, I've never felt more challenged to pray. He's like, but I've also never seen so much of my life as belonging to prayer. Right. He's like, I had this idea, and this is a pastor. He's like, I had this idea of prayer as something that was more transactional. Something that is more like checking a box. Am I, am, I, am I doing the things that I'm supposed to be doing as a pastor in order to be healthy, in order to get what I need from God, in order to lead well, that kind right. of stuff. It's like, that's how I was engaging with prayer. And there's a chapter in this book, you know, it's called Opening the Conversation. He's like, I didn't see how prayer actually opens the conversation and invites God into every part of my lives, especially the messy right. parts of our lives. Okay, I'm going to move us to our third question, um, but in a different way. Our third question is always, hey, tell me a couple of things that you're doing every day um, to make sure that you're staying sharp as a leader. Normally, I qualify that and say no Sunday school answers. Today, I will very much <laughs> permit Sunday school answers because... You know, uh, longtime listeners of the podcast will know that I'll um, take transaction and transformation and, you know, really pit them against each yep. other. Hey, we want it to be a transaction. It's really transformation. That's ultimately where we're what we're trying to do with people, especially when it comes to leadership. Yeah. However, I'm also a really, really practical person like and so are the people that listen to this on a regular basis, at least. They want the practical. Yeah. And so when you talk about something that is not transactional, but practical, I'm like, you know, what what does that look like? And the closest thing that I've ever found, um, and, you know, Comer's been on the podcast a time or two or whatever and talked to me about Desert Fathers. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I, I like that, you know, kind of thing. And I'm just <laughs> like, but, man, I don't know if I could get there or not, bro. But. The you mentioned two things yeah. that I wanted to draw out. The examine, which is old. It is. And daily office. Is it daily office? office. Mm -hmm. Yes. Talk about, in my mind at least, that is something that um, is a, a practical framework, if you will, that can be leveraged for the yeah. integration. So yeah. um, I really did like what you said about integration as well. So Yeah. You got it. Okay. So practical. Can I give a bonus one? Can I give three? Yes. Okay. I'll give three practical ones. So 
when you have the, all three of these really would fall into this category of God consciousness. There's a lot in our world about self-consciousness, like being self-aware, right? Like what does that look like? Um, but the reality is we really can't know ourselves until we become more God conscious. We really can't. We can't understand why we do what we do. We can't understand what the day really has to offer to us. And so the idea with the examine is it's, it's a movement and it, it could be however long you want it to be, but you're pausing, you're taking a deep breath and it's a movement through the Lord's prayer with different words and with a, with a similar sequence, but different movements. And you can spend as long as you need to spend in each of those. Right. But it's a deep breath. You can do it anywhere. It's a right. deep breath, pausing, reflecting, you're reorienting, you're forgiving, you're reengaging and you're going back and you're looking at the day to see where have I missed it? Like, Holy Spirit, where did I see something as one thing when it was actually something else. Right. And that can actually lead to actions like, Hey, I actually need to go apologize to this person or I need to, I need to follow up on that conversation because I was unclear as to what I communicated with them or God, I was unaware that you were with me in right. that moment. I didn't express gratitude. I, I want, I want to be grateful for that moment. I, and I lay out the framework in there. It's pretty intuitive. I lay it out in the book and people can check it out. The examine Ignatius yeah. examine it's, it's anywhere. So if you actually want to break it down and look at it, it's all in there. The other part is the daily office, which you mentioned, which is similar. Um, it's this idea of you take two minutes of silence, right? That's it. You just stop. I know that's scary. <laughs> I know it's scary to be silent. There are words that only form in silence though. And we should all be aware of that. Like there are things that will only, form out of silence. There's a, a Psalm, Psalm 65 in the ESV, the alternate translation says, praise waits for you in silence. So you who hear our prayers, like there's something that happens in the silence that only happens in the silence. There's an old quote from Maeterlinck. Okay. I found this. Okay. Interesting. Like tracing back to old quotes, <laughs> uh, Howard Thurman, Dr. Howard Thurman, uh, a book of his poetry. He quotes Maeterlinck and I went back and I found this, but basically the quote, and I'm paraphrasing it. But the quote is, we do not know each other yet. We have not yet dared to be silent together. Like really think about that. We don't know each other yet. We have not yet dared to be silent together. So we're just gonna be silent for the rest of the podcast. But <laughs> this idea of the daily office is an invitation into silence, which is a counter response to the frantic inaction and noise of the world that we live in and that we find ourselves in. All right. So right. it's a counter response to that. Put your phone away. Don't play any music, anything like that. Just be silent and and be okay with being silent. You're like Addison, like, what am I supposed to do during two minutes of silence? Okay. <laughs> like if the thoughts come, don't fight them. View right. them as boats that are traveling down a river. That's a great discipline when right. it comes to centering prayer. Watch them like a boat travels down the river. Don't get on the boat. Don't question why the boat's there. Don't try to explore the boat. <laughs> just recognize the boat and let it go. It will, it will disappear. If you don't engage with it, if you just acknowledge it. But if you're like, oh, I shouldn't be thinking about the boat. What are you going to be thinking about? The boat. It's like, don't think about a pink elephant. What are you thinking about? You're right. You're thinking about the pink elephant, right? So, so you, then you, two minutes of silence and then you go into a reading. It's a scripture, devotion, something along those lines. And then you take another two minutes of silence afterwards. Then you right. go into your day. Now, those are great. Um, there's different resources and stuff that people can use. This book is designed to be read like that. Like, I, I want people to read this book right. slowly. This isn't a book that like you read through and you check the boxes and you're done. Like, you want to read this slowly. 
But then that's there's another my style. I know. Uh, that's why you said I read three or four chapters last time. I'm like, well, it's all right, okay. Um, now, the, the other one, and I think this one's really powerful, and this has been extremely powerful for me as a leader in the midst of like, you're in the middle of the meeting. You're preparing for the meeting. Right. You're, you're leading the team. You're having a moment with uh, an employee, like whatever. Like this prayer for me is the difference maker. It's a really simple prayer. Three words. I am here. So simple. I am here. Three three dimensions of meaning in this prayer. Okay. Number one, I am here in this space. We are terrible, terrible at being in a place, in a space. Right. We love to believe that we could be two places at once, which ends up meaning we are nowhere. So I am here is actually surrender of space. It's saying, God, only you get to be omnipresent. Like I'm here in this moment. Right. I'm going to be fully engaged in this moment. And also the people who are with me in this moment, they need my presence. They need me to be present to their presence. And I need to be present to God's presence. So I understand what this moment requires of me. So that's the first one. I am here. So all three of these are acts of surrender. Right. I am here. Second part is a surrender of time. I don't get to live in the past, present and future. All I get is the present. And leaders, y'all are like, come on, man, like present, what you as a present. What about leadership? What about vision? What about planning? What about what's next? This is what I would tell you. And, and take an honest inventory as a leader. I know for me, the times when I've been the most full of vision is when I've actually listened to what Jesus says in Matthew six, do not take on tomorrow's cares, concerns, right. tomorrow's worries. And here's why insight leads to foresight. Where do you get insight? You get insight in the day. I find that I get foresight when I'm present to the day, when I'm in the day, when I'm present to the people, the moments, the decisions, how it all converges in the day. It allows me to see the future through the day rather than around the day. I'm often tempted to go around the day and try to see the future right. around the day instead of through the day. Does that make sense? No, it makes total sense. So, so that's the second part is since I'm not God, I don't get to live in the past, present and future. I need to be present to the present. Now, here's something fascinating about idolatry. Like we're going to talk about idolatry just real quickly. Okay. Idolatry is the attempt to be God, right? Like worship God, a God other than God, be God. That's idolatry. Yes. Our lives break down when we try to live anywhere other than the present. You try to live in the past, hopelessness, depression, try to live in the future, anxiety, that's what happens. And so I am here as a surrender to the reality that I am not God, but God's going to give me what I need in this moment. And I need to be present to this moment, present to the people, present to the decisions, present to what this moment's given me, which leads to the third surrender, which is surrender of reality. The great I am is here with me in this moment. God's here with me. God has promised never to leave or forsake me. Paul, when writing to the church of Philippi, he's in prison. He says, do not be anxious, right, about anything. And he says, let your reasonableness be made known to all. The Lord is at hand. Like for Paul, the most reasonable thing for us to do is actually live in the reality that God is at hand. Like that's when we can be people who are reasonable and people who know what reason would require of us. So that's the three. So I am here. So I pray that all the time. Like it's the way I just go through that. I feel it. I'm like squirming. Take a deep breath. Right. I am here. It's a reminder of those three things. Yeah. I have a confession. Yeah. When I read that, I was like, I need to steal this. Oh, good. Because I want to do here. I am mm. break it down the same way, but then send me. 
Mm. Because I, I am obsessed with Ephesians 2.10. Mm. Yeah. I am obsessed with that part of... Which part? The well, workmanship recreated no, to do it, good it works? Is, it, I'm obsessed with the fact that our churches are full of good and godly people who have a massive part to play in their church and in their community. Yeah. And they're not living in that what in that manner in yeah. the in in the manner of being sent. You cannot know you can't fully do that unless you do just what you said. Yeah. So I was like, this is brilliant. Here I'll I am. steal it. I love that though. Here I am, send me. Now what it, the send me is yeah. like, okay. Yeah. Now I now I can yeah. Yeah. live that way that. in in that such such a manner. Yeah. I'll reference it whenever <laughs> the first time. The first time. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's 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 fantastic. So leaders, here I am. Send me. I am here. Like these are they really are. They make all the difference. And another thing that I pray when I feel caught up in that moment where I want to get outside whatever the current situation is inviting me into. Because you know, worry's anti-faith, right? Like it just is. Right. Like that's what worry is, it's anti-faith. Um, as I say, God, when that moment finds me. Like, I pray that you would give me the wisdom to know what to do and the grace to do it in that moment. And it's just a deep breath. I was like, all right, I'm coming back, coming back to this moment that I'm in right now, knowing that when that moment comes, I'm going to be prepared and I'll be able to respond in a way that's appropriate for that moment. Okay. Um, moving to our fourth and fifth question, we're going to do these combo pretty, pretty rapid okay. in rapid succession. Um, okay. So what does leadership in your home look like? Leadership in my home. Yeah. What is, what is well, I have four kids. Right. So there's a lot of delegated leadership. <laughs> <laughs> so, so leadership in my home, it looks like I'll speak like for my son specifically, it's been training him on what it is to be a man. He's almost 14. We started this journey when he was 13. We did the whole right. initiation into man and all that kind of stuff. Um, so teaching him what it means to serve. We're going through the five shifts from boyhood to manhood, talking about what it means, how boys think versus how man, how a man thinks. So, what is that? Um, so, I'm not familiar with that one. Yeah. So boys only think about themselves. Men think about others. Um, you're part of the whole story. You're part of the story, but you're not the whole story. Life is a shift from ease to difficulty. Now nah, I'm on the spot. Hold on. No. I have them written down. Where are the five shifts from? It's from a collection. Okay. Different sources. Cool. Shoot. I'm forgetting. I'll, it'll come to me in a moment. He, he rattles. I have him say them every day. <laughs> so I hear his cadence and his tone saying them. And I'm like, oh man, why isn't Asher here to just rattle them all? So... I think a powerful form of leadership obviously is not just delegating tasks, but delegating ownership. And so Julie and I, we've done what we can to make ownership um, and more about ownership versus just like them checking the boxes right. and doing the chores and stuff. So as our older kids, 13 to 12, getting to the like where they can it. own more, that's been, that's been really good. You need to write a book on that. No, my kids are they're too young. <laughs> like, my kids. It is. It is actually. It like, is. Uh, it is somewhat disturbing the number of people that write books on things that haven't. Listen. Like you know what? Just, you should probably let's just wait a little bit. Probably wait till your kids actually grow up before yeah. you write a book. That's fair. That's fair. I just 
really yeah. uh, resonate with that and need that, frankly. So, man, we may I'll, go I'll have lunch. I'll text, I'll, I'll text them to you. I, need to, I mean, they're on my phone. I just got to pull them up. All right. Um, okay. So what would you tell your 20-year-old self? Man, I would tell my 20-year-old self, like, take a deep breath. It's not going to all happen in one day, one month, one year. I would tell myself purpose is not something you discover in a moment or a season. It's something you cultivate through a lifetime of discoveries. So I would mention Proverbs 20, verse 5. I say purpose in the heart of a man is right. like deep waters, but a man of understanding draws it out. Like be a man of understanding. Go back to the well again and again and again. Don't expect to be completely filled in that, that because that's an allusion to a well. Right. It talks about the deep waters, like drawing water from a deep well. Go back to it again and again and again and, and be okay with not having all of the answers. Like have fun. Don't view that as something that disqualifies you from the journey of searching out the answers. Let that let that push you forward into finding the answers. So and everything that comes with that with integrity, wisdom, courage, purpose, faithfulness, holiness, those things like. I think they're all wrapped up in that pursuit. Very cool, man. Well, thank you for spending so much time with me today. Yeah, bro. Greatly appreciate it. So uh, for those listening, if you would like to hear more from Addison, you can go to addisonbevere.com. Is that the best mm -hmm. place? Yeah, that's the place. And then I would highly suggest you pick up Words with God. You guys know that I'm a reader and they also know from me talking about how to read books and, and things like that. I love Adler's How to Read a Book, by the way, which I pretty much practice. So, and I made it past your first chapter. I mean, I made it Listen, through that, chapter I worked, eight. I worked hard. Well, the <laughs> subtitle is Trading Boring Empty Prayer for Real Connection. So it, it couldn't be boring right. or empty. Or, yeah, or, or it wouldn't work at all. No, it wouldn't. So, I, I, yeah. Um, so, pick up a copy of Words with God, Trading Boring Empty Prayer for Real Connection. And thank you guys so much for listening. Hop on over to wherever you're listening to this to leave it a rating and review. If you think somebody would benefit from this podcast, especially this particular episode, go ahead and send it their way. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.